Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. My guest this episode is a very talented actress and comedian who has appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live and Conan and recently shot her first one-hour comedy special. Her hilarious viral tweets have been retweeted by social media royalty like Shonda Rhimes and Taylor Swift. After her own difficult post-birth experience, she has become a warrior for postpartum mental health advocacy. Angelina Spicer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Dr. Oh my God. Berlin. Uh, I'm going to have to bring my energy up there. Yes, you are. i got to match your energy. <laughs> all right. Well, you're amazing. First of all, I put on a little comedy show called Kidding Comedy. About a little kids. comedy show. It was sold out, it packed was sold wall out. to wall. I think it was mostly because of you. Um, nobody's uh, ever heard of me. Whatever the reason is, uh, thanks everyone for coming. It was, it was great. so much fun. It was so fun. And you had me dying laughing. I'm you're happy. very funny. Where are you from? How did you get into all this? You know, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. What? Uh, uh, yes, I'm from the Lubavitch capital of the world. <laughs> uh, Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Wow. Yes, right near 770. Oh. Yes. <laughs> right there, 770. Wow. Yeah, I grew up uh, on Crown Street between Troy and Albany for all my Brooklynites. Oh, I thought you looked familiar. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> uh, probably because I was the only uh, non Chabot. Right, Chabot. There we go. Yeah. And yeah, so I grew up in Brooklyn. I went to college in Washington, D.C. I graduated from Howard University. What did you study? I studied acting, darling. Oh. Did you know early on you wanted to be an actor? Yes. Uh, ever since my mom stalked Spike Lee. Uh, and stalked him down in Brooklyn and asked him to let me be in one of his movies. Really? And he did. Uh, yeah, I knew I wanted to be an actress. How old were you then? I was about eight years old. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. Wait, your mom saw your talent. My mom saw my talent as a ballet dancer. And oh, you, you left that out. You were a ballet I did dancer? I leave that out. I'm sorry, Dr. Berlin. Yeah. Yes, I was a ballet dancer. I used to be a big dancer. Really? Yeah. Uh-oh, what kind of dance? Well, I've only danced twice, but I felt big both times. Oh, okay. Well, so we have that not in common. Well, I fell, too. You fell? Many times. No, not I fell. I felt oh. big. That's oh, what made me a big, big dancer. Yeah, Yeah. I, I didn't. But you, were, you didn't feel big. No, I didn't feel big. I felt heavy. Yeah. And I felt well, wrong I every felt time heavy. the Russian lady came by and would beat the stick by my point <laughs> shoes. I felt wrong. Aww. So I yeah. gotta see old video of you. Belly no, dancing. you don't. Yeah. Nobody needs to see the old video. Mm, I need to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so yeah, my mom, uh, such a huge supporter of me. I told her that I was tired of doing ballet and that I wanted to get into acting. We got photos. We got an acting class. She was like, you know what? We're gonna call Spike Lee. And I was like, are we? <laughs> really? Do we have him in the Rolodex? No, we did not have him in the oh. Rolodex. Uh, but, you know, his office, 40 Acres and a Mule, is right next to Crown Heights uh, in Fort Greene. Anyway, I won't get into all that. But anyhow, my mom stalked him and ran into him at some event at Long Island University, downtown Brooklyn. And the next thing I know, he's calling my house and I'm home alone. I answer the phone and I'm like, hello, who is this? And he's like, it's Spike. <laughs> and I was like... Spike? <laughs> and I hung up the phone. Because oh. <laughs> I was like, what in the world? Who is Spike calling my house? <laughs> so then uh, he calls back and he leaves a message on the answering machine. And he's like, hey, Angelina Spicer, this is Spike Lee. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Hello, 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 hello. Hello. <clears throat> hello. <laughs> Hi, this is Angelina Spicer. <laughs> it's about time you called. Right. So um, Spike. So that was my first sort of experience or wow. introduction into the, into the industry. And I auditioned for Crooklyn and 
ended up getting a really small part that was halfway cut out. You hear my voice, you see half of my face. But ever since then, I know I was destined. You were oh, you were in. To be you had one, an actress. You had half your face in the door. <laughs> yes, yeah. half of it in my whole voice. In your whole voice. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. not leave that out. Right. Uh, Yeah, and then so you studied theater. So I studied theater at Howard University, graduated cum laude. Wow. And then uh, that was a long time ago. Theater, did you do all aspects of theater? Yes, from the classics, from Chekhov to uh, Shakespeare to, uh, you know, and the more current classics, you know, August Wilson's and... Oh, boy, the list goes on and on and on, but I loved it. Tragedy, comma, dramedy. Yeah, the whole bit. And then I moved to L.A. soon after I graduated from Howard. What was that? I said dramedy. I meant to say tragedy, drama, and comedy, but it all just came out as one. Oh, that's okay. I think we all knew what you meant. Yeah, I think so. I made my own genres. Do it. Yeah, did you did you lean towards one or the other or at the time? No, I was just I didn't have a favorite. I just liked performing, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I moved to L.A. that I started booking more comedy work, but as a sketch comedy performer. Oh, sketch! Yeah, so like I did impressions, and do not make me do them now, Doctor Berlin. Absolutely not. You asked me not to curse. You already did Spike Lee. Okay, fine. You asked me not to curse. I did. And in order to do the impressions, <laughs> okay, I fine. have to curse. All right, so, fine. but yes, you know, I did impressions of like Tyra Banks and Nicki Minaj, hmm. uh, Beyonce as a dancer. And I started booking all this work. And then a producer saw me on when I was with a live sketch team on tour and was like, why are you doing stand up? And I was like, good question. Let hmm. me try that. You just did it on your own? I tried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would go to open mics and write some stuff and try it out. Yep. And I took a class. That's balls. At the Hollywood Improv. Oh, we can say that? We can say balls. Oh, we can say balls. We can say balls. Yeah. Conus. We can say balls in any language. Chutzpah. Ah, there we go. Let's some chutzpah. (laughs) Chutzpah balls. Right. And then I, I started booking more comedy work. And you know what? As an actress, I realized that like the inclination is to always be looking for work. Mm-hmm. But when you're a comic, you are the work. Mm. And I felt way more empowered being the work, like providing the entertainment, not waiting for an opportunity. For someone to write something. Yeah. Pick I'm like, you to try it out. That's right. To try out for something that they had in their head. I'm like, no, I'm I'm the prize. This as is my me. mama says. This is, oh, yeah. I like right. It. I'm the prize. I so, still... yeah. So I'm like my voice. And that's kind of what started me doing stand up comedy. And then, yeah, I married a white guy. Did not ever, 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 ever expect that. I didn't expect that for me either. Well, yeah. you did not marry a white one guy. Of, but one out of two ain't bad. <laughs> you got that right. Yeah. And then I noticed that there was just some inherent comedy in that. Mm-hmm. You know, the differences between the two of us and our life experiences. And then, of course, my family. So I started talking mostly about that before I had my daughter. Doom, doom, doom. Doom, doom, All right. So hang on one second. There's so much. To th- First of all, I will tell you this one quick story. I had a patient who had a breech baby and she didn't want to have a C-section, but none of the doctors in her hospital would do a vaginal birth with it. So she came up with this crazy plan to hire a midwife, labor at home until the breech baby was just about to come out of her, then go into the hospital and be like, hi, I'm 10 centimeters with my breech baby and I refuse to have a C-section. And she did it. And I'm not recommending anybody do this. 
I'm just saying that's what she did. Sheesh. Yeah. And so she goes in there, and they have no choice, but they have to catch her baby. Wow. And she has this great vaginal breech birth with these doctors who had never done them before. Anyway, so. That's cojones. Yeah, that's what happened when I <laughs> she came in. That's what reminded me. I was like, dude, you got some serious balls. Yes. She's like, no, I don't. I have a vagina. You and I was like, right. touche. Because it's made of steel, baby. Yeah. Well, right. I agree. Elastic I, I, steel I presume. bounces right back. Yeah, that's a good infomercial <laughs> for it. <laughs> yeah, so then you had a kid. So, yeah, how was pregnancy for you? Pregnancy was fine. Uh, as soon as my husband and I decided we wanted to get pregnant, we did. Okay. And we just, like we didn't even have a second to like prepare. Not even a second? Usually no. it takes like a minute or two. It was two. like, oh, gosh, oh, we're pregnant. Wow. <laughs> And then everything was fine. I didn't have any morning sickness or anything. The problems actually started coming up at around 30 weeks. And I'm going to talk a lot about this in my documentary that's upcoming. We'll get to that. But at 30 weeks is when I was marked high risk, not using those words high risk, but I was told that my daughter was growth restricted. Oh. And I did not know that growth restricted meant high risk. But I was being treated as though I was high risk, but no one ever like said the words. You Were know, you here in Los Angeles. Yeah, here in Los Angeles, hmm. and my daughter wasn't growing, and I was immediately made to feel like it was my fault that I wasn't like eating enough food or uh, not enough calories, or that I was working out too much because I was running and like dancing. I was running like three miles a day and doing high cardio dancing and stuff like that. And at 32 weeks, during one of those NST tests. Non-stress tests. Right. Which, which is, is not non-stressful. Exactly, Dr. Berlin. I'm I with was you. like, this is all stress. Yeah. Stress-inducing. Should be an AST, an all-stress test. There we go. Yeah. There we go, AST. Also my initials, but all right, fine. Yeah, that's why I picked it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, at 32 weeks, uh, at one of those NST tests, my daughter's heart rate dropped. And didn't pick back up for like a minute or two. Oh, wow. And my doctor freaked out and was like, you need to go to the hospital now. 32 weeks. 32 weeks. That's early. Right. So then I freaked out. My husband freaked out. He had just driven around the block to go find parking at the OBGYN's office. And then now we're You're at the hospital. Right. We're at the hospital. They monitored us. I was fine. My daughter stayed in. Thank God. That was the biggest scare of my life before I had my daughter. And then I carried to 38 weeks, but I was still having to go in twice a week. For AST. Right, for ASTs. And then finally my daughter came and I didn't realize how much. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You what? can't just like finally my I'm daughter sorry. came. How about the whole labor thing? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. I just always think people get bored. No, by I'm so all the curious. Juices. Okay. I want your juicies. Okay. Okay. I'm going to back off on that, <laughs> Dr. Berlin. I'm going to back off. But anyway. Okay. So I kept my daughter in utero until 38.5. I was eating tons of fried foods. I started eating cheese and dairy again. I wasn't doing that because, again, I was like, my doctor kept saying, you need more calories. You need more calories. You got to eat more sweets. You got to eat more sweets. So I was like 
eating Crunch and Munch for breakfast with oh. McDonald's sweet tea. <laughs> wow. Wait, so, so the growth picked back up? No, it no. never picked back up, and they couldn't figure out why. They would measure the blood from the umbilical cord. I'm like, all of these crazy tests, they felt crazy at the time. And, you know, measuring the heart rate, and then the, the head doctor in charge would have to look over her heart rate stuff. And after we were admitted to the hospital that time at 32 weeks, I just felt like I was waiting for the ball to drop. Like, is today going to be the day? Is today going to be the day that I go into the hospital and they tell me, we got to take your baby because she's going to die? Oh, yeah. You know, that's not how you want to ever be in pregnancy. But but know, for the last eight weeks of my pregnancy, that's what it was like. You were on Spilkis. Okay. That's what I said. I didn't pick that word up <laughs> in Crown Heights. Just, Come yeah, on. I don't know if there was an English word. You just un- constantly on worried edge. and nervous. Yeah, yes. on edge. Yeah, yeah and anxiety. Yeah. Then, okay, so the whole birthing thing. So I ended up having to be induced at 38.5. And my girlfriends, they didn't give me much advice. But the advice that they did give me was don't take the Pitocin. Oh, really? Don't take the Pitocin. They didn't have good Pitocin experiences. No. Six of my girlfriends did not. Wow. They said that if you take the Pitocin, the likelihood of having a C-section for them was greater. Oh, yeah. I'm just impressed six of your girls. I, like, I only have one friend. But back to you. Fine, <laughs> fine. Because you didn't go to Howard University. No, I didn't go. You go and to I'm Howard f- University, you come out with a lifetime, a tribe of friends. Anyway. Uh, so my I could do it again. Do it again, honey. Right. So I went. So my girlfriends were like, don't get the Pitocin. Don't get the Pitocin. And that's what I told my doctor. I was like, I do not want Pitocin. She was like, why? Why don't you want the pit? Because of the pit. You know, at least you know you're in labor. I was like, nope, don't want the Pitocin. So she induced me with this pill. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I forget what it's. Mesoprostol? Cytotec? I don't know. Okay. I'm a comedian, not a doctor. Yeah. Okay. That's your job. Yeah. Dr. Berlin. Anyhow. So she gives me this pill that she has to insert manually. And that's supposed to soften the cervix because I had oh, I wasn't that. dilated. Yeah. And uh, Cervidil. Maybe. They just leave it in there for yes. a while. Yeah. Yes. And that got the labor going. Mm-hmm. Well enough that I was like heavy, like having heavy contractions. Then I got the epidural, which I'd always planned to do. Cool. And then Zytokan. I think that's what it's called. Something. No. Okay. Dr. Berlin's looking at me like, uh, no. I'm not that kind of doctor, <laughs> but that doesn't sound familiar. I know, familiar. but I'm just saying. I'm thinking maybe I'm quoting a commercial. Oh, well, anyway. it could be, yeah. Are you losing your hair? Okay. No. Wait, I know. Rogaine? Yeah. No, I don't right. know. Anyhow. So, yeah. So, she inserts the pill. Contractions are going, going, going. I get my epidural. And I'm in, like, heavy labor. My mom hadn't made it in town from Atlanta yet. Um, oh, she was supposed to come in? Yes. And but be I in was... the room with you? Of course. Did you have a doula? I did not have a doula. Cliffhanger. Let's go to a break and come back. Don't go anywhere. We'll Let's be right go. Back. Okay. All right. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart. Literally. Omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new Omega-3 Soft Gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell. Perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference. 
consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We are like in heavy labor with Angelina Spicer. What happens next? So I did not have a doula to answer your question. Yeah. I had had a husband. I had a husband who had never witnessed childbirth before. Okay. And labor and delivery nurse. But we had gone to a prenatal class at the hospital where we delivered, and the woman was a midwife and a doula. Who taught the class? Who taught the class. Okay. And she was also a registered nurse. Okay, that's a lot of stuff. So she taught us as women how to advocate for ourselves, and you know, uh, she gave us the advice of get the walking epidural, not the full epidural. Okay, is that what you did? That's exactly what I did. Oh, so you could still feel stuff. Yeah, and so I could move around. walk. She says your body can't... Like you, you can't help your body get into labor and get the baby out if you can't move. Right. So you see the other animals in labor; they're never like laying down, watching, keeping up with the Kardashians. They're like ambulatory; <laughs> right, they're moving around. Right, you know. Right. So, so, but right. not every not every hospital has that option. But yours oh, did. So thank they, God. Yeah. So you can get some pain relief, right? Some intensity relief, mm-hmm. and still be mobile. Yeah. Cool. So that's exactly what we did. We got the walking epidural. My husband held my hand. We paced up and down the hallways. I had my yoga ball. We did the kissing and the rocking and the hips and the oxytocin release. And I did my yoga breathing. I felt really in control. I kind of wish it was video now. Oh boy! This podcast, you got. I mean, oh. you're you're <laughs> my you're interpretive. Yeah, I could. I feel like I'm in there with you. Oh gosh! Yeah, my interpretive movement. Yeah, I love Thank it. my ballet teacher. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> right. So we, as a team, my husband and I, felt so empowered. We felt so connected, and also exhausted. Yeah. So we were walking and pacing and kissing and bouncing on the yoga ball and doing the whole thing. And then I was like, babe, I just need to lay down. I need to lay down and I need to go to sleep. So I laid down. I took a nap, woke up. I felt like I peed on myself. Can we say pee? Yeah, we can, we say, can pee. say pee. Okay. I felt like I peed on myself. And I was like, oh gosh, why does my pee smell so bad? Uh-oh. And the nurse came in. Wait a minute. What do you mean? Because oh. I've had. Now I'm afraid. Yeah, I've had that experience. <laughs> right. Anyway, but back to you. It was. It was. My water broke. Oh, yeah. And then the nurse comes in and she, uh, you know, gropes me up again. That's what it felt like. I felt like I was being violated. Yeah. And well, she's that's like, why you oh. pay all the money. Right. <laughs> I'm like, can I have interviewed you first? <laughs> um, but anyway, at that point, I was fully dilated and she calls my doctor. She was like, well, looks like it's time to go. And then the whole time during my labor, my daughter's heart rate kept dropping. Dropping. So they had to switch my knees. Yeah, move over this way, move over that way. exactly. And I was like, wait, wait, why didn't anyone tell me that you may have to? I thought everything in the movies you see is just like the knees are up. You know, your husband's (laughs) holding a foot. The other nurse is holding a foot. And, you know, 15 people are in the room looking at your vagina. Yeah. Right. The whole, like, fake the gas mask. <laughs> oh, the oxygen. The they, oxygen. Yeah. I was like, what is this? Okay, this is weird. But, okay, she said I need it. So I have that on, and I'm pushing and turning the hips, the, the, the knees from left to right. The heart rate keeps going down. They're like, oh, we lost the heart rate again. We lost. I'm like, don't, I have come too far. Please don't let my baby die. Please. Oh. Uh, finally, they allow me to push. I pushed three times. And my daughter came out. Oh, yay. I was like, there is a God. Oh. 
Thank you, Jesus. I can almost picture you like wearing a life preserver just for the hell of it. I mean, <laughs> life with, that, preserver. I don't know, with that oxygen, just blow it over here. Yeah, right. And then when she came out, before we even cut the cord, we discovered that there was a natural knot that's why her in her cord. heart rate kept going down. And oh, that's wow. why she that's was some, growth restricted. That's dangerous stuff. Yes. Wow. And it was at the base of the placenta. Wow. And my thing was all of those NSTs, a.k.a. ASTs. Yeah, they never saw it. They never saw it. No. You know what? All of the uh, telling me, oh, you need to eat more calories. You have to eat more sugar, sugary foods, and you're not retaining the calories. Stop working out. It's all your fault. I dream of going to the doctor and having that conversation. <laughs> you need to eat more sugary food, more donuts, and stop working out. <laughs> that Dr. never happens. Hilarious. I have that dream. Hilarious. Yeah. I, I probably have a knot in my uh, whatever. Something. Right, right. It I, was crazy. I'm like, all of this stuff, all of these, here, eat some more cookies, and oh, your, your daughter might die in utero. Yeah, that's Exact really, words from the doctor. That's intense. Eight weeks of these stress tests hooked up to a monitor, and it was something that you guys overlooked or didn't see or couldn't yeah. find. I just wonder what would they have done differently, do you know? I don't. And yeah. the only alternative that I could think of was to take her out. C-section, probably. And take her out as soon as they noticed that there was a knot in the cord. That's what I'm saying. It yeah. probably would have been a really She wouldn't have lasted as long in utero. So, yeah, so it's kind of maybe in worked out in your favor. I, I think so. God has a way of always working things out the yeah. way they need to be. It's probably because you grew up around all those Lobobitures. They probably saw you and then like prayed for you. Oh. No? Well, no, yes. Thank you, yeah. Lobobitures. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. I went to, yeah. Moral mm-hmm. of the story is if you can choose to grow up somewhere, it's Crown Heights. Crown Heights is the move, That's baby. That's yeah. Yeah. So. Spike in the Rebbe. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I still have my dollar from you 770. You do? You got a dollar? The, the dollar. Yeah, from the Rebbe. Yes. A little plaque or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Got lucky dollars. It's working for you. I uh, know. Yeah. We keep it in the Bible. <sighs> That's appropriate. So then what happened after that? Because, like, you had your postpartum wasn't great. No. Yeah, my postpartum was awful. I'm a doer, which is part of the reason why I enjoy being a comedian. Because I can actually like be assertive and yeah, you got to sell yourself as a not aggressive, but like out there, yeah, out there and take action. Mm. And I'm that way in most facets of my life. And you know, I felt like once I had my daughter, like I just, I just felt like my old self died immediately. Immediately, I felt that way. I felt like I had worked so hard to keep her in utero. I'd worked so hard. To make sure that my nutrition was great and that, you know, I did all the right things in labor and advocated for myself. And I worked so hard and it was so painful to get her out. Oh, contractions. And then she was here and it was like, I didn't even process actually having to mom. Mm. And I felt like no one helped me. No one helped me. So... Just like, man, this is lonely. It's confusing. It's hard. I don't know what I'm doing. My husband really doesn't know what he's doing. But I got to figure this out because my baby needs me. You got me like tears all over the place. I'm so sorry. Me too. When you felt that 
How soon after was it? Immediate. Right away? Immediate. I immediately felt afraid and unprepared. I just felt like, oh, God, now what? Now I actually have to, like, do this? In retrospect, is there something that you could have done to avoid that moment? Not that I could have done, but that... That could have been done. The world could have done. Or I would, you know what, not even the world. Hospitals. Hospitals could prepare moms for actually caring for their new babies and not just getting them to the finish line. I think it was Will Smith. I've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. I was younger, didn't know anything about having babies. I was on late night TV doing an interview. And he was like, yeah, it was an incredible week. We got our first big screen TV. Mm-hmm. And also we had a, our first baby. Oh. Uh, and he, the contrast yeah. between the two was incredible. Like before you leave the store with that TV, they're just giving you a thousand page right. booklet and all these things on how to take care of it, make sure it has longevity, nothing bad happens to it. And with the baby, they're just like, here. Yep. Good luck. Figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, on the one hand, the other animals do it. There's this incredible video of an elephant giving birth. If you ever look on no. YouTube. Mm. No, it's not, not your <laughs> You just get a little popcorn, butter popcorn. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. It's called Risky Business. I actually think it might be therapeutic for you to watch it, actually. Okay, cool. She Check gives birth to this baby kind of on her own. They go out and... Wait, the elephant? Yeah, she's on an elephant reserve in Bali. Okay. And they see that she's in labor, and they come out to video the labor, and um, they don't get involved at all. But she labors this baby down. She delivers this 275-pound baby. Oy. I mean, yeah. Oy. Yeah. Don't feel it. I know yours was- I could barely do six pounds. Yours was smaller. <laughs> like, shit. Yeah, yeah. She was eating the cookies, too. She must have been. Right. So, uh But here's what happens. The baby comes out, and it's not breathing. Mm. Okay? And so she turns around. And she looks at the baby not breathing, and she's nervous. You can see nervousness on the face of this elephant. But during the whole labor, it was intense, Mm -hmm. but she didn't look scared. Now she looks fearful, and she does all these things. She, she like, kicks the baby Uh a little bit. Mm, Nothing happens. Jesus. She's using her little trunk to sniff all the different parts, right? And then eventually, she tries a few things. She's pacing. She starts making the Mm -hmm. noise. Eventually, she does this maneuver where she takes her trunk. And she wraps it around the baby's little trunk mm-hmm. and then yanks on it, almost like a chiropractic adjustment. You wow. hear the noise. And then the baby starts breathing. What? Now, here's the thing. How is it that this elephant mother who doesn't listen to podcasts, never read a book, <laughs> didn't take a class, right? How is it that she knows how to A, birth the baby right. all by herself, Good point. turn around, do neonatal care? She, how does she even know something's right. wrong, wrong, let alone all these remedies to try to do it? And I believe mm-hmm. that every single woman has all of that programmed inside you, but there is so much noise on the outside mm-hmm. about what to do and what not to do and what right. to do it and what not to do it that we are totally disconnected mm. from that intuition. And so I have like this feeling that perhaps maybe you were pulled away. You were so removed. You just wanted your baby to live. Yep. And not die inside you. Yeah. And you had no data, no information, and nothing you could actionably do. You're a doer, but there was nothing to, to do, do except eat shit. <gasps> Beat me. So <laughs> that's all you could do is just eat more crap, fill yeah. up on calories. And then the baby came out alive, and it was like, I'm done. Right. Like, I did it. 
I don't know what else to do next. I just my job was to keep the baby alive. I don't know, but I think it's because you're so disconnected. Mm-hmm. Like we don't even do that much necessarily, but like help you be in touch with your inner voice. Right. And if we are going to tell you everything that happens during every stage of labor, then we should also tell you what to expect on the other side once the baby comes out. Absolutely. Anyway, I found childbirth to be very traumatic. I will say that. Do you know why? Yeah, because her heart rate kept dropping. I wasn't dilating. My cervix wasn't moving. Like nothing was working. And it was painful. And I was traumatized by the whole thing. And it was just perceived trauma. It wasn't actually traumatic. It wasn't like, you know, I had an emergency C-section or nothing, quote unquote, went wrong. Yeah, but uh, that kind of seems like the climax of your trauma, meaning after eight weeks of, like, being rushed to the hospital, right. monitoring, the right. dipping, and then you're in labor, and it's just, like, every time it's like, we lost the heart rate. And, you know, this, like, even just sometimes being there when I'm a doula working with somebody yeah. and those things happen, and I know inherently they're going to be fine, mm-hmm. it's still traumatic yeah. to watch it happen right. to somebody else that's not even my wife or my baby. Right, completely. So... It makes sense, the trauma. Um, we've got to take a little break, but okay. then I want to figure out how you went from there. Ooh. And then I don't know also. If they're ready. Well, I don't know. Well, let's just do it. <laughs> I don't know we'll, if they're ready. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Angelina Spicer. How does the rest of your postpartum go? They lay the baby on me, and I look terrified. I have a photo of it, and it's going in my documentary Mm. because everyone always posts these gorgeous pictures of them with their babies, and gorgeous meaning they just look like either they just brought in a whole glam squad to make them look gorgeous (laughs) or they look like they're going for a target run Uh no i looked like i just got out of guantanamo bay oh you need better filters you know what maybe i should have tried that (laughs) (laughs) but you also it sounds like you felt like you just got out yeah i felt like i had just i was just traumatized so anyway they lay the baby on me and i'm like what in the world now what breastfeeding came very naturally to both my baby and I, we had that bond right away. Blessing. It was a real blessing. And we stayed in the hospital, you know, a, a day and a half. We were sent home. My mom stayed with us for a few days and helped us. My mom works in Atlanta, so she couldn't stay. Oh, she couldn't six, stay, stay. No, she couldn't stay, stay. And honestly, I didn't know enough to know that I needed her to stay, stay. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, okay, mommy will come in town for a few days. She'll help out get us situated, and then she'll go back to work, and then she'll come again at six weeks. Mm -hmm. No. When she left, my husband and I were both terrified. We Mm. just felt empty, truly. We felt empty. We felt like, okay, it's just us against the world now. And my daughter would make these grunts in her bassinet. She, through the night, and her knees would move up towards her chest. And I'm like, what is going on? Why is this happening? So I couldn't sleep. When I could get two winks of sleep because I'm hearing these grunts. So I would record it, just the audio of it. That's also going in my documentary. Mm -hmm. And I would be up and I would Google it like baby grunts, you know, four days old. 
because who do you ask besides the internet? Talk to Google. <laughs> right. <laughs> Luckily, they didn't say, oh, your baby has HIV. Right. You know, <laughs> or your baby's got, you know, a slew foot or something. <laughs> it was, oh, this is totally normal. Babies grunt in their sleep. My little one grunted. And it was like all these threads of information. Turns out my daughter had colic. Oh. But we didn't realize that until the grunts turned into screams. Mm. I mean, my daughter would scream for hours, oh. hours. I asked the pediatrician, because my doctor, literally, my OBGYN told me, as soon as the baby comes out, that's the end of our relationship. Your baby needs her own doctor. Mm. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I'd asked the pediatrician. The pediatrician said, oh, it's because your milk has all of those vegetables in it. Oh, because you're eating too healthy? Yes. Oh. So you need to cut out all of your ABC vegetables. Oh, ABC. Artichokes, asparagus, broccoli, cauliflower, oh, anything that starts with ABC. All your cruciferous uh, there we go. vegetables. Oh. Because that gives people gas. Mm-hmm. So it's even worse for babies. Baby gas. And I didn't even know, like, okay, babies could get gas based on what I eat. Mm-hmm. That's all they're getting is your... I get it. Yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> but nobody ever told me. Oh, yeah. Right. I heard dairy... Things that would have been helpful to know yesterday. Hello. Yeah. Right. Uh, I feel like Tyler Perry. Hello. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so then I had to do like a whole elimination diet and figure out what it was that was giving her gas. Luckily, all the ABC vegetables worked. Oh. So here I was, vegetarian, now down to no garlic, oh, no you're onions. Oh, a vegetarian? No. Yeah. I'm, mm. I'm, I try to be healthy yeah. and make all my meals and cook all my food. So I couldn't eat hummus, one of my favorites. Oh. I couldn't have tabbouleh. I couldn't have tomatoes. Tomatoes gives gas, too. Really? The doctor was like, well, you just have to eat a lot of squash. Okay, uh, squash. Squash it is. <laughs> That's it for a vegetarian? Okay. Okay. 365 ways to cook squash cookbook. Thank you. The calendar. So, yeah, the elimination diet worked eventually. It was just like constant. And then finally, the sleep deprivation was crazy. We had to move. Developers came in and bought our whole block in West Hollywood, California. So we were given a maximum of 90 days to vacate. Wow. Luckily, they had to buy us out. So we got a little change for it. But I had a new baby and a broken vagina. Like, I was not trying to move. Oh, I cannot relate. Right. Well, the mamas who were listening can. They can relate. Okay. I was literally dragging my vagina behind me, packing up luggage, packing up boxes, trying to move to Burbank. Oh, it was a hot mess. Needless to say, I wasn't really able to fully work. I never processed that, you know, before I had my daughter. I never processed, like, what would it be like getting back to work? Because I'm a comedian, I'm a freelance artist. It's not nine to five. Right. I just figured, okay, I work nights. I'll just get back to work at night, you know, leave milk for my husband and fine. But it was just, I was so exhausted and so sleep deprived. It it took like six months for me to get back to work. And I felt like I had all of this new information about myself and had this major transition in my life and so much to share. And I share on stage, but physically, I just couldn't do it. Physically, I couldn't go to the clubs. Physically, I just didn't feel strong enough. It was crazy. I was like, dag, I didn't even imagine that I wouldn't feel up to working six months postpartum. So at around like seven months, I like forced myself to get back and I started booking TV shows and commercials and doing the clubs again. And it was almost like I was like trying to get back to it, trying to feel like myself again, trying to pull myself out. 
And at eight months postpartum, I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. Did something change at eight months, or is that when you finally got the diagnosis about what's going on? That's when I finally got the diagnosis. I was seeing my therapist from, like, maybe when Ava was, like, three weeks old. Every week I would religiously go because I needed – I couldn't, like, talk about it on stage. You know, that is a form of therapy. But, like, I just felt like I was bursting with stuff to say. But I couldn't say it, so I would always go to therapy. I would bring my daughter with me. I'd bring all the things, their pack and play, my breast pump, the floor mat, the toys, everything. And um, at eight months postpartum, that's when my therapist looked at me and said, you're not well. This is classic postpartum depression. Wow. That's like eight critical months of your life. Yes. And at that point she recommended that I check into a psychiatric facility for treatment. Oh, wow. Did hearing that, was that helpful to you? Hearing what? A, the diagnosis, and B, her recommendation for treatment. Was that just like, on any level, does that make you feel better? Like, When she told me that she recommended that I go to the hospital, I felt relieved. I was like, what? I can go somewhere <laughs> without my child <laughs> wow. and potentially feel better? And she's going to be okay. My husband's going to be okay. And I'm going to come out feeling better. Why didn't I know about this place before? Right. And then when she diagnosed me, I was like, oh, there's a name for this. Yeah. I mean, essentially they're saying they're validating what, what you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't feel crazy anymore. I felt like, okay, there's a name for this. And it's not that I'm just some unicorn or some weirdo who's having intrusive thoughts, who doesn't like this. I love my child, but I don't like this new job that I have. I don't like this. I was like, oh, there's a name for this. I'm not a monster. And I can go somewhere without her? Yeah. And still, if you're looking at Instagram, those pictures are just... Absolutely. Bliss, 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 Yeah, it's all BS, you know? Actually, my New Year's resolution this year is to sort of be a little bit more like my Facebook profile. Which is? Well, he's about... uh, No, he's just more like 20 pounds lighter than I am. He's got a great relationship (laughs) with his wife. I mean, he's just the best dad ever. (laughs) So Goals, hashtag goals. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm going to try to be more like him. What happened in the hospital? That's also going to be in the documentary. Much like this interview, my documentary is not going to be all like humdrum, sad, oh, whoa, me. It's just going to be filled with lots of information and funny stories and funniness and light, you know, mostly to help moms realize, like I had to realize through my therapist, that you're not crazy. Everyone's just a liar. But... Yeah, she's like, you're not crazy, but you should go to a psychiatric hospital. And I was like, sign me up. Let's go. I'm in. I'm in. I did not hesitate. How long were you there? Ten days. Wow. The psych ward, yeah. In my comedy special, I talk mostly about the psych ward. Mm -hmm. But I don't get into the nitty gritty like I am right now Mm -hmm. because I want to add some levity and humor, obviously. It's a comedy special. (laughs) But the hospital was... Helpful in that it kept me protected. Mm-hmm. It kept me protected, and I didn't have to see my daughter. But the psych ward lacked many things. 
It lacked actual treatment. It lacked specific care to the reason that I was there. And it really lacked compassion and empathy for the postpartum depression and anxiety. It was a private hospital, so it was clean. It didn't feel like a public place. I had my own room, which was nice. It felt like college, Hmm. you know, but with room service. The food was good because a lot of people were there being treated for eating disorders. They always had food, like lots of cold options, hot options, like everything. I mean, on that side, you're selling it well. Well, I mean, it felt, listen, I was happy to be there. I was so happy and relieved to be away from my child and the responsibility of taking care of her and taking care of my husband. I needed that vacation. You needed someone to take care of you. Yes. And the psych ward was not perfect, but it gave me a moment to myself. You said something really powerful, which is that your mom went home. I mean, that's a recent phenomenon. We lived with our families mm-hmm. on the family property, in the village, in the town. Mm-hmm. You had all that support right. built in. We don't have that. No. Most of us don't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like you get the baby, you come home, and you're on your own. There's giant learning curves, big hormone changes, big physical changes, relationship changes, responsibility changes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, even somebody who doesn't have a lot of anxiousness or depression generally or mm-hmm. fear, it'll knock people down. And yeah. It knocks a lot of people down. But it's like that is not a part of the prenatal conversation. No. On any side, on the peer side, from mom to mom, even with families, and especially in the medical field. No one's having these conversations about what it's really like when you come home with this baby. Yeah. I mean, you and my wife, you guys got to get together a little bit more because I have a fuller understanding of you. Like, I can't even picture you being weak. Mm. Because you're so freaking strong and That's... powerful, small but mighty. You know? Thank you, but yeah, it it really did rock me to my core. I can't even picture that, like you being weak. I can't picture. But my wife's whole thing, the afterbirth plan, that's her whole life is to, she's a perinatal psychologist, and she is trying to stand on rooftops and scream out, guys, what are you doing Mm -hmm. with all those prenatal screenings, measuring this and testing for that, and not even a little bit of a, how are you ready to cope with postpartum and motherhood? Nothing. And that's what she's trying to do with the afterbirth plan. I love what you're doing. So now you have taken like your experience. You're one of those people that, I don't know why I feel like I should say this, but you're one of those people that gets kicked in the nuts and stands up and says, I'm not going to let this to happen. That's right, cojones. That's right. We're back to the cojones. Right, I'm not going to let this happen to anyone else because there's so much we can do as just lay people. We don't, I mean, there's just so much that we can do to advocate for ourselves and advocate for each other. And to realize that that's the only thing that's standing in the way of someone not suffering honestly just feels terrible to not help someone. To do stuff. To do right? something. It just. And your wife came to me after the Just Kidding show mm-hmm. that you hosted, and she came up to me and told me that she wants to work with our movement, with the movement that I started. It's just so synergy. The synergy is all yeah, outstanding. It, so, right. So I call it the hashtag postpartum revolution. Ooh. I like. Yes. It's revolutionizing the way we talk, treat, and joke about postpartum depression. Yeah. And comedy, I don't know who said it first, tragedy plus time is yes. comedy, right? So Ooh. 
this is going to be hilarious. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is now. Yeah. I remember being at the comedy store on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood trying to joke about it. I think maybe two or three weeks before I went to the hospital. Wow. And the audience was like, uh, should we uh, call someone? Yeah, she needs, <laughs> Not she enough needs time. help. Yeah. Not enough time. Yeah, time, it's the plus time. It's a big piece. <laughs> right. It's a big piece. And, right. And that's, I, I bet, you know, there will be some backlash from people who are going through it now saying, that's not funny. Don't joke about it. But you know what? Give it time, first of all. Second of all, the whole point is you can use your experience to draw through comedy. Mm-hmm. may work for some people, not for others, to draw a lot of attention to a very underserved and very important cause completely and um i applaud what you're doing thank you it's just like let's talk about it if we normalize the conversation then moms won't feel ashamed to get help exactly they won't suffer for eight months and then have to go to a psych ward in order to get a time out sounds like you're blending two things together so you shot a comedy special yes i shot a comedy special and a documentary so i did it ran a kickstarter campaign and uh raised the money to shoot both of those projects and it all kind of started when my daughter was two she's now four so Mm. two years ago I was asked to join a nonprofit organization as their spokesperson because of the way I approached this with levity and humor and just normalizing it they asked me to be their spokeswoman and we started a statewide campaign here in California with three new bills that the governor ultimately signed uh, one for mandatory screenings for moms Two, to train medical staff at hospitals. And three, to secure a referral program for moms who are in need of outside care outside of the hospitals. So the governor signed those bills last, mm, I think about a year ago. Yeah, it's about a year ago now. And then at the start of 2020 is when everything just started to go into motion. So that was sort of the impetus into creating the documentary. Mm Mm-hmm. And then now I'm a part of a national campaign to duplicate those same three bills. In other states? Yeah, in, in, in our state. And then I started working with uh, the World Health Organization. Who? As the, right. See what who? I did there? I do see what you did there. Mm-hmm. Who? Who? <laughs> who? I started working with them, again, to just amplify voices of moms who feel ashamed and to use my story to, to normalize it. Hmm. That's amazing. I'm very grateful to you. Oh, thank I'm very you. grateful to you for being one of those people that if you had to suffer what you suffered, that you're not you're going to get up there and do something about it, not just for yourself, but for other people. And, and it helps me to help people. It feel, I feel like I have purpose. I know you're now. going to help countless numbers of women, babies, families. I hope so. Um, I really uh, commend you and applaud you for what you're doing. I hope so. Thank you. Um, we got to get the documentary out, though. Yeah, so how do we help with that? We help by please donating. Please, please, please donating. Where? How do we uh, do it? Yes, uh, at my website, www.angelinaspicer.com. Oh, how did you think of that? I don't know. You know, my I think my parents had a little bit to they do with it. They thought of it? Yeah. Uh, but angelinaspicer.com. You can donate $5, $500, five pennies, whatever you got, I will appreciate. And that will help us finish. We have to edit now. We have to do color correction. I was just at Sundance Film Festival last week 
hobnobbing and meeting people from major networks, I won't say which ones, who are very, very interested in what we've created and the movement, the hashtag postpartum revolution movement that we started. But I got to get them a finished product. And I can't do it without more money, a sadly. Help. A little help. Uh, but we're all invested in this, and we all need to invest I, in this. I felt it at your comedy show. I felt it when I performed and I told my story. And so many people, not only moms, but dads even, who came up and were like, you know, what can we do to help support your movement and help bring this documentary to life? Like, we've all heard the stories about postpartum depression, but they all end tragically. Or they end up, you know, the mom is arrested or the kids are taken away or, you know, mom takes baby's life and her life. And, you know, we always hear about those stories after it's too late. Mm-hmm. But, like, we can get in front of this thing. We can get in front of it. Yeah, it's totally preventable. It's normal. All we have to do is advocate for ourselves and advocate for each other. Yeah, and we can create a modern-day village. It's just because we've taken a turn yes. away from our village. Yes. We have all these different tools, and, and the social media also could be used in yes. a very positive way. Completely. To create support for people before they even know they need it. So yeah. my wife always says people spend like nine months planning for the 24 hours that is labor and delivery. Boom. And no time at all planning for the 24 years that follow. Oh, so. I love your wife. I, I met her. I gave her a hug. But I love her even more. Yeah, I, I'll give her a hug for you when I get home. <laughs> Angelina, thank you so much for being here. AngelinaSpicer.com. Yes, and follow me at Angelina Spicer. See all of the updates at on our postpartum Angelina revolution. Spicer, and then hashtag postpartum revolution. That's right. It's much better than my hashtag. Mine is oh. hashtag hash browns, which is not, you know, it's just for me. <laughs> but we all like hash browns. All right, hashtag good. hash brown with some ketchup oh, and onions. Oh, we'll trade. There I'm going to go. put both in my posts from now on. Do that. <laughs> All right. At home, uh, hopefully, you know, you didn't have this type of experience and a lot of people don't. But unfortunately, a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. So if you're moved by it and you want to help out with the cause, visit AngelaInSpicer.com and throw in what you can. And also, if you will, help share this story by sharing this podcast with your friends and also directing them to AngelaInSpicer.com. Doctor, doctor, give me the news I got a whole lot of questions for you This kid's gonna test my will I got a lot to learn and my baby's too